Hello and welcome to Methods Podcast. My name is Sarah Hanna and today I'll be joined by Rianne Lovelace, Jen Evans and Lorna Boone to celebrate International Women's Day. Thank you all for joining me on International Women's Day. The theme for this year is innovation and technology for gender equality, which seems to be very relevant for us at Methods. Rianne, you work for Methods as a senior business consultant, and you've recently been inspired by the book Invisible Woman by Caroline Criado Perez, which we'll be referencing a lot today. Could you explain to me what this book is about and why it's important to you? Just before Christmas, a colleague of mine recommended the book to me, having had a recommendation from another colleague, and I started to listen to it on Christmas Eve, actually, when I was driving home. And it really struck me really quickly. I had no idea what to expect. In her book, she exposes the data gap that exists for women. She explores the evidence and implications of this data gap in creating a gender bias that women then face every day in the workplace, daily and public life, design and health. Criado Perez takes a systems thinking approach, looking beyond an individual and their private motivations to explore the patterns, systems and cultures which reinforce this gender bias. Her premise is that the gender data gap is not generally malicious or even deliberate. It's the product of not thinking and it's not a coincidence. The consequences of this unthinking can be minor but irritating, such as women shivering in offices set to a male temperature norm or struggling to reach the top shelf set at a male height norm. But it can also be fatal through undiagnosed health conditions or unidentified health and safety implications for women. And that view, it was it just struck me on a professional level, a personal level, thinking about family, etc. It was just across the board. It really resonated with me because there was so much evidence presented where the sort of gender bias exists and how it has an impact on people and I just didn't know what to expect I found a book which just had so much impact on me it was something I just couldn't stop talking about for a while. Jen you are a sports massage therapist who has undertaken research around menopause what did you think of the book Invisible Woman? I listened to it as well and my daughter actually overheard my 17 year old daughter heard me listening to it and she heard me listening to the section about where she talks of the design of a certain mobile phone. And my daughter is quite strong-willed, but she she flipped it on her flipped the coin on it on its head and said, "Well, I can hold my phone perfectly well with my hand. So if you look for problems, you will find them." I paused it. <laughs> And I said, that's really interesting. I said, you've come in at one section of the book and you've heard that one bit and you've taken that one bit and you've gone, but you could say that about anything. I've listened to the whole book. So I've actually now got a bigger picture of where these biases are all over the place. And all of a sudden, it's not just about holding your phone. So she was then able to kind of listen to what I was saying and went, oh, yeah. (laughs) I did listen to it. I've listened to it twice, actually. And I've also got a copy of the book. And right in the preface, she talks about the fact that there's a quote. So one of the most important things to say about the gender data gap is that it's not generally malicious or even deliberate. Quite the opposite. It is simply the product of a way of thinking that has been around for millennia. And it is therefore a kind of not thinking, a double not thinking. Even men go without saying and women don't get said at all because when we say human on the whole we mean man and I think actually when you start to position it in that way that this is not about pointing fingers it's not about individuals it's and you know the bias that that they may hold it's much deeper than that across the board it's like a systems thinking level and that's the important bit to get to and explore and for me that was just really important 
important for having a discussion because actually on the face of it I didn't know what to expect you know is this going to be a case of isn't the world terrible actually there's some really big things to grapple with from this but it's not about the individuals it's about the patterns that we're seeing it and the cultures the impact across society as a whole rather than those individuals and for me that was what made it so much more impactful I think. We also have Lorna today. You studied psychology with a master's in cognitive neuroscience and now work as a primary school teacher. Could you tell us a bit about those consequences that we have in society because of the gender bias? I think one big thing that she talks about in the book is health and safety. It talks about uh, cars and how when they test cars for safety, it's for the male body. And so women are more likely to get injured in a car accident or more likely to die in a car accident. And I even noticed when I sit in my car, it's something really minor. You know, the bit you pull down so it blocks the sunlight. I'm too short for that. <laughs> I notice in one of the cars that my my children use is that um, my son is taller than my daughter. The, the sun visor is smaller. It's fine for him. It's not for her. So it's not just your yeah. car, Lorna. <laughs> <laughs> and then they try to put in rules so that it had to test for women as well so they now do that in just the passenger seat so they still use a male dummy in the in the main seat but the passenger seat they use a female which obviously like where you're sitting so close to the steering wheel especially if you're short you need it to fit you <laughs> from my years as a teaching assistant I'm I've watched many videos on crush test dummies for physics mm. it's all very biased crash test male dummies and they and they they try to they try to gender neutralize it and have different weights they never actually Mm -hmm. say this is a female shape this is a male shape it's done on weight rather than shape because obviously our shape is very different and there's even in the book they talk about playing the piano and the female (laughs) hand doesn't my my hand can't reach an octave on a piano but it's because the keys are designed for male hand and then the medical side as well, that a lot of illnesses aren't always diagnosed properly in women because they're presenting atypically. And over the years, years and years, all the research has gone into men and we're playing catch up a bit now. Jen, you've been understanding the gap in women's health through your job. Could you tell me how you got into this line of work and what you've learned? Six years ago, I had an injury, just a common garden called calf or something. I can't even remember what it was. But I was told to go and see somebody who wasn't a physiotherapist. And in my head, I was like, physiotherapist, you just go to a physio. But when I saw that there was this job of sports massage therapist and that the training and the qualifications, et cetera, fitted around my job in the school at the time, it seemed like a good idea. I'm not ashamed to say I'm in my mid 40s and I'm seeing life from a parent, parent of two older teenagers. I'm seeing it as a child of a I've got parents who are in their 70s so I'm what they call the sandwich generation I'm seeing how my teenagers are seeing the world and I'm seeing how my parents are seeing the world I'm seeing how I'm seeing the world and I'm seeing that if my mum thinks there's something wrong with her it's a very different approach to as if my daughter was to think there was something wrong with her so my mum is likely to mither about calling somebody up, NHS, GP, specialist, etc. Whereas my daughter goes to TikTok. The difference there in their in their way of getting their information is is astounding. So I now see clients from all walks of life, all different ages, 
males, females, but the majority of my clients are, I would say, female. I got into thinking about women's health through the menopause and looking at how my clients were coming to see me repeatedly with differing ailments. And I have the beauty of spending an hour with my clients, whereas GPs get five minutes. After five minutes, my client hasn't relaxed enough. They've not opened up enough. They've not told me about their life. And actually, after 60 minutes, I know more about their life than some of their closest friends. And I'm able to spend the time and put the pieces of the jigsaw together. So I was starting to see patterns in their health that GPs just weren't seeing. And it's not because they're not doing their job very well. It's because they don't have the time to do that bit of the job. So I'm not slating GPs at all. But I was then saying, if you thought about it could be hormonal, if you thought about it could be to do with a lack of this particular hormone on your body. And then that led me to just learning for myself. And through that learning for myself, I've seen where the failings have been historically. So women in their 70s and 80s have been thoroughly let down over the years, whereas women in their teens and in their 20s now have an opportunity to really make their lives more healthy holistically not just literally by popping some paracetamol but starting from the ground up and I'm making sure that the teenagers and the and the people in their 20s today know how to make their 50s 60s 70s they can see the bigger picture one of the things which really struck me about the book I'm you know not got any specialism whatsoever in health etc but with the the impact of drug trials and you can understand so essentially the book explores that generally drug trials have been done with men traditionally rather than women they're, they're much more stable in, across their period of it so you're reducing the number of variations when you're carrying out a trial for what could be cause and effect but fundamentally because women have their hormones change over the course of a month a lot of trials have excluded women or there's been assumption that they can't be part of it because they have to have caring responsibilities which would prevent them from being able to engage or be available at times which would work and the book discredits a lot of that anyway but the fundamental impact from that is there are drugs which would have a much more significant effect for women than men which have never been taken forward and from the early stages of the trials and that was the know that there's gender biases in general you know we talk about it and I don't think that's that wasn't a surprise to me when you start to put it into those kind of terms for me that was the fundamental and thinking about my family and how I need to advocate for them the women my family around healthcare and thinking about the drugs that actually should be available and should be used for women which aren't and that was an absolute revelation to me if you could flip it on its head women we have a pill to stop us getting pregnant men have a pill to help them have sex whereas there is treatment out there to help women carry on being in a happy sexual relationship where but it's not licensed on the nhs i've listened to dr louise newson from the newson health clinic talk about menopause a lot and she says so i will quote her if a man went to the doctor and said I can't get an erection it's really painful when I do and I can't have sex and it's making my mental health suffer and my relationship is breaking down they would be given counselling Viagra all sorts of things on the NHS 
Whereas if a woman was to do the same, I can't have sex, it's painful, I'm not in the mood, I'm tired all the time, here, have an antidepressant. It's totally not addressed in the same way. And yeah. that is changing, but it's slow, really, really slow. The money they've put into researching Viagra, when you then compare it to something like endometriosis, and that's just been so under-researched. So, for example, period pain. There's actually some studies that show women will blame their mood or their periods when actually it could be something entirely different. So because society's always said, oh, you get moody around your period, they don't always recognise that there's other reasons that their mental well-being's taken a dip. They just assume they're hormonal. There's that one example in the book with Michelle and she had that intense pain in her intestine. She kept going to the doctors for when she was 14 and then they consistently told her it was anxiety or stress. But then at 26, referred to specialist, GP, and then they found out that entire left-hand side of her colon was diseased. It's just eye-opening. <laughs> eye-opening. And this is all stuff that I did not know about 12 months ago. Lorna, why do you think that women's health historically hasn't been understood? There's another book called The Gendered Brain by Gina Rippon. And she talks a lot of just where the science came from and the fact that they always perceive women to have smaller brains and any female issue, they just called it hysteria, which in Greek means originates in the womb. So if a woman had something wrong with her, they just blame that. Women used to get put into asylums when they yeah. get to sort of 55 years old because they were considered mad. I don't think it's even that long ago that stopped because I had two great aunts who were both in institutions and I think they were diagnosed with hysteria and looking back I think they were autistic because there's a lot of autism in my family it was probably that. <laughs> there's a part in Invisible Woman which talks about the data gender bias in public life. Rianne, earlier in your career you worked on the front lines as a police officer. Could you tell me about your experience there? I can't emphasise like how much thinking it's sort of triggered and I was thinking about my experience as a frontline police officer and what I saw from both explicit gender bias and some of the more implicit stuff so for the explicit side the conversation around uniform absolutely resonated so we didn't have problems with boots because we had to buy our own so that's the first thing I'd throw out there for public sector like those boots are not cheap but you know that was that was the same for both men and women but the stab vests absolutely did not fit us in the same way mine finished above my belly button and it's if you think about the vital organs that you're trying to protect from wearing a stab vest, and it's not just the, you know, the pointed, sharp implements that you're protecting yourself against, it's the knocks and the blows that you have. Actually, the, the level of protection there was really quite low. The kit belt was really uncomfortable. You'd be twisting your back as you sat in the cars, which the cars obviously don't fit you anyway. And it was just massively um, clear within the, that uniform that it was you were you were a female in a male's world still in this you know 2010s etc and then there was also that when there were sexual offenses reported it was always the women who would be resourced to them and there are some considerations in terms of actually what would a victim be more comfortable with like in terms of the gender and it's really important to get that response right for them on the flip side it was definitely the assumed that it'd be the women responding to that and actually that might not have been the best person for that victim and then 
there's the implicit side of it, thinking about the book in the way that women are different in terms of leadership styles and engagement styles and the empathy that we might show. You know, they're all strengths, but actually, how does that translate within the policing environment and an institution that is very male dominated? And fundamentally, it didn't. You know, you were seen as weak if you weren't out there as in demonstrating those really male leadership characters. There'd be things like the paperwork. I could tell you that all the women on, the, my, on my team would pick up more paperwork than men without shadow of a doubt if there was a witness statement to be taken it'd be us who'd be taking it you know from the carrying the equipment for like evidence bags and gloves and that organizational level it's all the same things that you'd expect to see but that the book explores in terms of women carrying that burden at home it was definitely transferred into the gender that i think i saw within the police it, it, from my experience of it and there was a real absence of that female leadership style it was command and control you, you know empathy was not necessarily encouraged or respected certainly within that frontline policing place it's not to say you know the police do a bad job that you know they're working under really hard difficult conditions but when when you look at the gender bias 100 percent, I, I think stepping away from it i see more of it than i probably would have seen at the time you then moved on to become a business analyst and work on government solutions and services how do you see that in the light of this book yeah, so I guess this is where the, the book had a professional impact on me. So a lot of my roles have typically involved either creating solutions and thinking about user needs and but also collecting data, designing data collection into solutions and analysing that. And one of the things which probably struck me the most was the, the, the impact of not having data to understand the impact you're having on your users. We know that that's really important across board but actually what are we thinking about in terms of gender diversity accessibility in, in broader sense we do talk about it absolutely it's something we've built in but i'm not sure that i've ever had somebody say to me have we thought about the data on gender here and how that's going to impact our users or the way that people design their services and so you're talking about from anything from the snow clearing and patterns in the book which are explored through to I was working on a flexible working pattern solution recently and it was having a massive impact on the employees at the particular client and I suspect I don't have any data to back this up but I suspect that there's probably quite a lot of women who are requesting flexible working patterns because we know about those caring responsibilities but that what I mean we're not taking that we're, we're not involved in that next piece of work but fundamentally at that point of doing the analysis whilst we we weren't leading in that that wasn't something that was being explored explicitly and and throughout all of my business analysis training and experience I don't think that there's necessarily the culture to think about these things and and build it into all of our analysis when you're thinking about okay we need to tick off these different things and etc I just don't know whether or not it's quite there in the culture of it and when we think about the absence of data and the impact that that then has that's really significant. So immediately my my professional conversations very much turn to, we need to be thinking about this and having those conversations around with other business analysts about what do we change in the way that we work to start bringing this in so that we're not then adding to that data gap. You've touched on a point there about those typical roles that women might take. And Lorna, as mentioned before, you're a primary school teacher. What gender biases have you seen? I think more of the stuff you notice is how children are perceived. So, for example, where I trained, there was a girl who she didn't have a diagnosis, but who was always, always crying. And sometimes she gets so upset, she starts like biting herself. And she was always labelled as 
attention needy whereas I just reflected on myself and I thought if that were a boy I'm like 99% sure that they would take it more seriously because it would be seen as more atypical whereas I think girls do get labelled a little bit more um, emotional and, and needy. The presentation of ADHD and autism is obviously well recognised now that women and girls just slipped under the radar and that they don't present at school because they're better at masking. So a lot of children or a lot of teenagers are growing into adulthood with undiagnosed autism, which affects their well-being long term. Teachers are getting much better now at being trained to recognise it in girls. But also some of it is with the boys, if they're struggling with like autism or ADHD, they might show it more behaviourally. So it becomes more of a safety issue if they're struggling to regulate and throwing chairs. Whereas if girls don't present that way, so there's not always a... You don't look at them and think they're really struggling at school. So it can be quite hard for teachers because you're not necessarily going to flag something if it's not that obvious. But in some ways, if you were to put the interventions in earlier on with the girls, once all the hormones come in, I think it would probably, probably be able to manage it better. Do you think it's also because research with women in autism or other neurodivergencies hasn't been researched in the past so we don't actually know what we're looking for yeah definitely so that the dsm-5 for assessing autism was created when they believe autism was pretty much just in men so the actual criteria to make diagnosis is based on how the symptoms present in a man not in a woman in a boy not in a girl whereas now i think clinicians are starting to recognize that they may not present in the same way and you've got the demand demand avoidant profile which they think you get more in, in women, so it's something they're starting to look into. In the book, they also talks about how at age five, you give a what's perceived to be a difficult task to five-year-old girls. They yeah. relish in the challenge and they take it on board and they succeed and they're happy that they're succeeded. If you were to give at age six, so just at 12 months different, if you give an age six girl a challenging task to do something happens in that 12 months where they've switched off and they've gone well no that's a boy thing if it's hard it's a boy thing I don't know if it's so much that the girls underestimate themselves I think it's that the boys overestimate themselves so we do red amber green sheets which I don't entirely agree with anyway but it's just what my school does so red is I'm feeling a bit wobbly and green is I'm really confident and the girls tend to be much better at actually estimating where they should work whereas I have a lot of boys who are perhaps slightly lower academically who will say I want the green sheet but I see that side of it and I don't I don't get the girls necessarily having that girls confidence in the same way. From secondary school perspective I saw a lot of girls who absolutely knew the answers to the questions that were being asked were reluctant to show that they had a level of intelligence that that was worthy of them putting their hands up so already from what I saw for by age 11 they'd had that level of confidence taken out of them and do you have any male teachers at your primary yes I've got two out of 14 wow it's so bizarre how that's a profession primary school teaching where it's predominantly female because I would say in the secondary school it's predominantly male you do see a lot and not all the time but some of the male teachers in primary tend to like to be in year five and six you just don't get so many in early years in year one. I come across a lot of primary schools where the head is a male. And I'm sure the percentage of heads, there's more male heads in primaries, if you actually think about how many of them teach. 
Is that because when women get to a certain career stage where they should be thinking of that avenue, that's yeah. when you start to have your children, that's where you start having to withdraw a little bit from work. Mm-hmm. Actually, your primary focus is the caregiving and your unpaid work at home. Jen, have you had experience seeing a gender bias in your work life? I have some experience from a very long time ago, realising that I wasn't being paid the same amount of money as my colleague who was male to the point where he was on a completely different grade and we were doing the same job. He was a grade higher than me and I got beaten down quite verbally, obviously, not physically. I got beaten down quite basically. So, and I was only very young. That was So that was twin, probably 22, 23 years ago. I remember it. And to the point where I probably wouldn't question it again if I found out that somebody was being paid more than me for the same job. So it stuck with me. Wow. Now looking back at it, would you say it was because of that gender aspect? Was it for that reason? Yeah, it really was. I, it, I, to the point where I was my additional jobs compared to this other chaps were very admin focused taking minutes at meetings making the teas and coffees we had the same job title and yet I was the one doing that. Rianne considering your role at Methods what positive impact have you seen from bringing awareness to this unconscious bias? We were having conversations because I came back from Christmas and everybody's obviously talking about how was Christmas and immediately I launched into actually I want to talk about this book. So I probably became that quite annoying person in the office. But I was I was listening to and absolutely people engaged with me. And then I was on a client site visit with a couple of colleagues on my on my birthday. And one of the colleagues knew that I wanted a physical copy of the book because I'd listened to it and because I wanted to go back to the statistics. So on my birthday, I came downstairs to breakfast and they were both sat there. And I, there was like a little birthday present on the table. Turns out it was two copies of the book, one for me and one for a senior manager in our team. And that's because they, the person who was gifting it to me really understood that I wanted this to be a broader conversation. Like I felt like I'd really done a bit of a paradigm shift in my thinking and I wanted to be ex- able to explore that wider and just have that discussion. So the reason there were two books were, were one for me and one for him as my birthday present. But as my birthday present, I definitely took advantage of the fact that I then requested whilst he was travelling home on the train that he read three chapters of it. And I had the most fascinating conversation the next day where actually I saw him in a really similar position. He's got lots of women in his family. He works with a lot of women. He had these conversations around gender quite a lot, but he was really quite impacted in the same way that I was about, this is massive. This We need to be talking about this. This is like, we can't just ignore this. There's the conversations to be had. There's things we need to do and change, etc. And so then he started talking about that across the wider leadership team. And so now our whole leadership team have either listened to the book or are reading it. And those conversations are coming up and it's just it's brilliant to be able to talk about something which so it's it's big it's complex it's difficult to change like you know a systems level this systems change is always difficult culture change takes time and it's at society level right we're not going to fix it all like right here right now but actually if we started to have those conversations and we're coming at things from a similar position and thinking about the impacts that we have 
then for me, that's a really exciting place to explore this in, in terms of making some real change in the way that we do things. It's not only from a, so the way we work together within our team, how do we recognise different leadership styles and approaches to different things and how do we champion that diversity across the board, not just limited to women. And then how do we put that into our professional world as well? So when we're working with clients, how do we help them to think about it as well? And all those different things. So for me, that birthday present was probably one of the best that I've ever had because of that second book. It's great that we've uncovered this unconscious bias. But what hope do you think we have for the future? I spoke to my daughter about how, as a 17-year-old, you need to be on the receiving end of the fact that we are changing the role of women in our society. How do you get the message across to your generation? And she said, you need to think about the platforms that it's being delivered across. You know, these people don't go into supermarkets. They buy off the Internet. They don't go into GP surgeries. They use Ask My GP or whatever. They don't go to the places to get their information in the same places that old generations do. And they know how to, the younger generation know how to sift through the the endless amounts of toot for want of a better word that's on social media they seem to be able to differentiate between fake news and real news a lot more than than my generation can and I give her credit for that I give them both my kids credit for that that actually that they could they can go well that was a load of rubbish or they can look at like they can look at a picture and go well that's incredibly photoshopped whereas I wouldn't know the difference so it's it's tapping into that knowing that you know we've got to be acknowledging the fact that these youngsters in secondary school and older need to be taught and shown but it's how that happens because when they get to in their 20s you know they're not in an education environment anymore they're not learning but they still need to learn it's as they kind of get used to society it does somewhat get worse I think going into secondary but I do have like silly things like the book corner I try and make sure that it's got a good breadth of stuff for men and women and they have like this book series of women in science and women explorers and I do get boys in my class who pick up those books and take them home and read them and I'm not sure if that would carry through in, in secondary school I don't know but it is there with the primary children I think even when I was at school I didn't know many girls who do football but loads of the girls play football and there's a mixed mm. team and a girls team and they do it at lunch and I don't think it's uncool anymore to do what has previously been stereotyped as a boy but it's got to be their whole education really hasn't it? I think something that a lot of the younger generation are very in tune with not separating it in terms of gender either very keen on looking at it as a person so why should that person be discriminated what is happening to that person they don't necessarily see it as a man woman thing I certainly know that when I've been talking to my son about the work that I've been doing with the menopause and he's actually said to me you need to be very careful that it's not just women who go through the menopause it's anybody with ovaries and it does make you then flip it on its head again and go oh yes I need to make sure that everybody is included um in this reevaluation of our unconscious thinking we've got to consider everything from all angles it's that unthinking piece isn't it we mm. need to change that so we are 
thinking. I just think we just need to remember that women, we're very different to how we were even 50, 60 years ago. And if you think back to during World War II, women stepped up to the game to help in the war effort. Subsequently from that, you think how much the perception of women has changed, our role in society has changed. And actually, it's going forward, it's taking time, but we are we are being recognised now for what we can bring to the table in terms of our impact on society. So yeah, I'm pleased that we've had this chat. Rianne, Jen, Lorna, thank you all for your time and thank you for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.